Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey there. Good morning, Redemption. It's good to see you guys. It's great to be back. I loved you. I missed you. Man, it's amazing to be able to be back to worship with you guys. If you are a guest, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and church planter. If you came during our previous series, yes, I am real. Here I am. Um, And it's great to have you. Thank you for sticking this out. Before we get started, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, I love my church. I love being able to serve here at Redemption. Um, I have a lot of, uh, I'm, pre- I'm appreciative of you because you give me the time to be able to take a step back, to rest, to invest in my family and to pray and see what God has best next for us as a church. I have a, a lot of uh, great friends who pastor a lot of great churches, but they preach about 60 times a year and you're trying to do the math, you know, 51, 50, there's not 60 weeks, there's not. And that's why a lot of pastors are stressed and tired and burned out, worn out. But I'm grateful to be able to serve at this church so that way you could give us the opportunity for all of us to grow. And so I want to give a big shout out to our deacons and our deacons in training, the one who held it down while we we're out of town. And for all of our serve team, thank you so much. From our worship band to our kids team to cafe to ushers and to greeters, everyone who calls Redemption Church home, thank you so, so much. And here's what I'm reminded of, that Jesus loves his church. That Jesus loves the church. That's where we're spending the next two weeks studying in this section of scripture called the high priestly prayer. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. Now this section is called the high priestly prayer because it's a pastoral prayer that Jesus prays over his church because Jesus really does love his church. And so when we think about the church, what we need to see is that Jesus first and foremost is our lead pastor. Okay, I know that on the website it says Byron Ellis, lead pastor, but practically, functionally, theologically, missionally, Jesus Christ is the lead pastor of this church. And that's the reason that we can go out of town and and people still show up and get saved. That's the reason that when we preach, people hear the good news of the gospel and they respond. That's the reason that when we worship, people experience the presence of God. That's the reason that even in the summer, people still get saved. People still join community groups. People still serve in the church. People still live on the mission of God because Jesus is the pastor of this church and Jesus loves his church. So we're going to be studying John 17. So let's take a page out of Jesus's book and let's actually pray for our church. Sound good? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love, that you have loved us with great passion, with great compassion, and that your love for us is unconditional and that you saw us in our need. And so you sent your son Jesus on a mission to seek and to save us and to glorify you. Lord, thank you that Jesus is a great pastor who loves us, who leads us, who guides us, and who prays for us as his church. Lord, thank you for every single person in this room that you have called us together as a church to live for your greater glory. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate hearts and minds, would empower us to live out the message that you speak to us today. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So when you think about the church, what do you think? When you see the church, when you imagine the church, when you think about church, what comes to mind? I'm sure that each of us would have different answers to how we would approach this subject. Okay, some of us, we were raised in church. And so for for you, that's your your understanding. Some of you, you've, you've never been to church. 
you've, you know, this is the first church you've ever attended. Maybe this is the first church you've ever served at, you've ever become a member of. Maybe you said you're never going to go to church, or this is the first church that you've ever been to in your entire life. Okay, what do you think about when you think about church? Now, if you were raised like me, then you were raised in a charismatic church. How many of you were raised charismatic Pentecostal? Raise your hands. I know you want to. They love raising their hands. There you go. Good. So I was raised charismatic Pentecostal. So when I think about church, I think about Sunday night services. I think about revivals. I think about praise, worship, speaking in tongues, tambourines, people running around the sanctuary. Like that's, that's what I think about when I think about the church. That's where I go. And so maybe you were raised more in a fundamentalist tradition. And so it was very strict. It was very religious. And so all, all you heard was the pastor yell about how wicked the world is and how you need to be better than all of those other people. And he wore a suit and he sweated a lot. He had rosacea, gray hair. Like that's, that's what you're thinking. Or maybe you come from like an ethnic church. Maybe a black church or a Latino church. And so when you, when you hear preaching, you get excited, right? You love to amen. You love to shout me down. You let me know I'm doing a good job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and when worship comes on, oh man, you get passionate for the Lord. And maybe that's where you, you think when you think about the church. Or maybe you come from more of a Catholic or a high church tradition. And so for you, you think about an old white guy wearing a dress, standing, telling him to stand up, sit down, and to repeat after me. Like maybe that's what you think about when you think about the church. Maybe for some of you, just hearing that word church brings a lot of pain. Maybe just hearing that word church, it brings, it brings to mind a lot of isolation and loneliness and rejection and isolation, hurts and hardships that you've experienced at the hands of the church. And you swore for years that you were never going to go back to church, but for some reason you find yourself here today at Redemption. Welcome. We've been praying for you and we're glad you're here. What do you think about when you think about the church? That really is a great question, isn't it? That's a question that Ashley and I wrestled with before we planted this church over a year ago, we were wrestling with this question. What does it look like to be the church? What do we think that a church could be, should be? What does it mean for us to be the church? That's a question that we were wrestling with as we moved back here to Beaumont. And we began to feel the call of the Lord to, to call on us to plant a new church. And we began to wrestle with that. And we asked the question, why does Beaumont need just another church? Why do we need to be the people to start just another church? Doesn't Beaumont have enough churches? Doesn't Beaumont have enough preachers? Why does it need to be us? Right? We were ready to hit the eject button before the church ever got started. We're like, God, nope, not us. Nope, not here. Not now. We're out of here. And then we began to meet people. People change everything. Amen? And then we began to meet people. I got a job waiting tables, and I started to meet my coworkers. I connected with old friends from high school, people that I went to college with, started having conversations out in the, the community, going to concerts and restaurants and bars and coffee shops, listening to the stories of the people who call Beaumont home. And here's what I noticed, that over and over again, every single person that I would meet anywhere that I would go, people that I grew up with, people that I went to church with, people that even used to witness to me before I was a Christian, had all but given up hope, had given up faith, and had given up on church. And the more stories I heard like this, the more my heart broke. Because for all of its faults and failures, whatever you think about when you think about the church, I really do love this thing that we call church. And here's why. Because Jesus loves his church. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to be about the things that Jesus is about. I want to invest in the things that Jesus invests in. I want to love the things that Jesus loves. And so we begin to think, what would it look like for us to not start just another church, but for us to start a church for these people? To start a church for, for those who are lost, for those who are hurting, for those who had questions, for those who are skeptics and saints and sinners and rebels and outcasts. What would it look like for us to start a church that lived for the renewal of the city, socially, culturally, spiritually? What would it look like for us to start a church that wasn't just another church, but that was a church that continued the mission, the vision, the, the work of Jesus in the city? And so we began to dream. We began to dream what this church would look like. And I'll be honest with you, we had no clue. Okay, sometimes we still don't. But I'm not telling you that. But we had no clue in the beginning. And, and we just had a prayer. Now, we prayed that people would show up. But statistically, church plants in the first year run about 40 people. And so that was our prayer. Lord, if you could just give us 40 people. I only had enough faith for 40 people. Lord, if you could give us 40 people, Lord, if we could be average, that would be best. That was my prayer. Okay, how many know that Jesus's prayer for his church is different than our prayer? That when Jesus sees the church, he sees something different than when we see it. When Jesus dreams and when he thinks and when he imagines our church, he sees something that we don't yet see. And so my prayer was, God, give us 40 people. And Jesus says, here's 40 to baptize in that first year. And so the first year we baptized 40 people and we thought, hey, there's something to this. And so we kept praying and we kept dreaming and we kept investing and we kept inviting people. And as I began to pray, I said, you know, here's some things that I knew that our church would look like. I said, I want to have a church with a cool website. I want to have a church with podcasts. I want to have church with community groups for people to get connected into. I want to have a worship band that could actually play their instruments. I wanted to have a kids ministry where kids could learn about Jesus, not get lost or injured in the process. Like that's, that's about all I began to dream. And so we began to pray and said, Lord, what if our church... What if our church is just filled with a bunch of college kids? Okay, I love college kids. Most of our church is college kids. But I said, Lord, what if our church is just college kids? And then God began to send grandparents and mothers and families to be a part of our church. And so then I began to pray again. I said, Lord, what if our church is too charismatic? I mean, what if all we get is the crazy lady with the tambourine dancing up and down the aisles talking about the rapture? Like, what if that's all we get? And then the Holy Spirit, yes, I said the Holy Spirit sent us the Baptists. And we began to praise God for the Baptists in our church. Because here's the deal. The charismatic lady, she's reading her Bible now. And the Baptists, they're learning to raise their hands in worship. And it's amazing. I began to pray. I said, Lord, what if our church is, is just those college kids and those, those young people? And then God began to send people with jobs. <laughs> real jobs. Nurses and teachers and social workers and plant workers. And I prayed and said, God, what if our church is too white? Because everyone knows that 10.30 a.m. is the most segregated place in America. And so we began to pray, God, what if our church is too white? And then the Lord began to send people of color into our church, blacks and Asians and Latinos. So now our church finally looks like the kingdom of God in this city. And we began to pray, and we're praying for the men to show up, but that's another sermon. And so we began to pray. <laughs> And pray that the Lord would continue to build his church. And then we, we started asking people to, to serve. Would you serve in this place? And people began to serve. And we started to ask people to start to tithe. And people started to tithe. And then we said, hey, could you show up at 8 a.m.? And people 
showed up at 8 a.m. and they, they set all of this up. And the more we set up the church, the more people show up to church. And the more that we preach, the more people respond. The more people meet Jesus, the more the church grows. The more we worship the Lord, the more people keep getting baptized. And here's what I know. Jesus loves his church. And see, that the church is comprised of, of people worshiping, serving, loving, giving for the mission of Jesus. The church is not built on the gifts and the talents of the few, but the church is made of the sacrifice of the many. And nobody has made a greater sacrifice for his church than Jesus himself. And so Jesus loves this church. Do you love your church? Don't sound so enthusiastic. Do you love your church? Yes. Well, Good. Well, I'm going to read the Bible, and for those of you, I'm going to try to convince you, okay? By the end of this, you will love us. John chapter 17, verse 1. Grab your Bibles. We're going to look at what it means for us as a church to, to live and to love and to serve and to give and to continue the mission that Jesus has given us as a church, as Jesus prays for his church. Here's what he says, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, okay, let me pause right there and give you a little context set up. So Jesus is speaking these words. What that means is that in the, he just finished preaching a lengthy sermon. In John 14 and 15, Jesus is preaching publicly, a public sermon to the crowds, talking about the Holy Spirit, his purpose here on the earth. And then from John 14 and 15, it transitions, John 16, Jesus is meeting with his disciples privately. So he goes from public preaching to private meeting. Think about it this way. Here at Redemption, we gather together on Sundays to preach the word, to worship, and then we meet midweek in groups, small groups, community groups, that, that we gather to read our Bibles and to pray and to love one another. It's the same principle, that Jesus would preach publicly, meet privately with his disciples. And so that's exactly what we do here as a church. We believe that Jesus was in a community group. We believe that you should be in a community group. Yes, this whole point is just me trying to get you into one. It's a shameless plug. Good news for you. Community groups start August 13th. And so we want you to get signed up into a community group. Fill out your connect card, drop it in the basket, let someone in the team know because Jesus wants to grow in your life. Jesus wants to change your life. And the primary way that he does it is through relationship, community, and worship together as a church. So, Jesus is preaching publicly, and then he is meeting privately with his disciples, and here he's going to transition, and he's going to begin to pray. So let's take a look at Jesus's prayer. He says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Okay, let's pause right there. I promise you I will get through this. Trust me. Okay, what does he mean by the hour has come? Well, if you flip the page over to John 18, what you'll see is this is where Judas's betrayal is. So Judas is going to betray Jesus. Jesus is going to be arrested, tried. He's going to be denied by his disciples, crucified, murdered for the forgiveness of our sins and because of his claims to be God. So John 17 takes place in the last hours of Jesus's life. This is the last day. This is Jesus's last thing. And what is the last thing that's on Jesus's mind? His church. See, I know today we live in a time to where it's it's vogue to rag on the church, to, to speak bad about the church, to criticize, to complain. The church is a bunch of hypocrites, right? The church is crooked. The church is flawed. The church is corrupt. I know that we live in a time to where people love to criticize the church, but Jesus doesn't do that. If you look at it, no one had a better right to complain about the church than Jesus. I mean, Jesus could have complained 
more than anyone about the church. He lived with these disciples for three years. He handpicked these guys to raise them up as leaders, and they jacked up every single turn of the page. They couldn't get anything right. I mean, you got Peter who tried to water ski without a boat, tripped, fell, and Jesus had to go in and save him before he drowned. I mean, you got two brothers who are arguing, hey, Jesus, who's going to sit in your seat when we get to heaven? I mean, seriously? On one occasion, you have Jesus calling one Satan. You know it's a bad day when God calls you Satan. Right? They, they push away the children. They refuse to, to serve the poor. I mean, these guys could not get anything right. And on Jesus' last day, he prays for them. And there's a powerful lesson in here for all of us. Okay, when something goes wrong in your life, do you criticize, do you complain, or do you pray? When someone does something to you, do you complain, do you get angry, do you get indignant towards them, or do you pray? When you see that the church is struggling in some area, when you see that someone is in need in your life, what do you do? Do you throw your hands up? Do you wash your hands of them? Do you walk away? Do you quit, or do you pray? See, Jesus doesn't criticize. Jesus doesn't complain. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus prays for his church because Jesus loves his church. So we're going to look at Jesus's prayer. Here's what Jesus prays. The first thing that Jesus prays for is he prays for his glory. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life that they know you, the only true God. Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, that the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, let me give you an illustration to set this up. The first thing that Jesus prays for is he prays for his glory. The other day when Ashley and I were getting ready to go out on our vacation, we had to load all of our luggage and everything into our Jeep so we could head out and go to the beach. So I have all of our luggage sitting in the driveway. So we got, you know, first the stroller, we got the car seat, we have, you know, um, our, our bags. So I got, a, I got Ashley's bag, I got my bag, I got Esther's bag, I got the beach bag, I got the overnight bag, I got the random bag. You know, you have kids and you have tons of bags everywhere. And then we, and then we have the beach, we have the beach and ice chest, everything. So I got to figure out how I'm going to cram all of this into the back of our Jeep. And so I start loading it all up and, and putting it in. Then I go to shut the hatch. The problem is the hatch doesn't close. Okay, that's a problem because if you're driving down the road, the hatch flies open, you lose everything, bad vacation. So I got to take everything out of the Jeep and I got to figure out how I'm going to put it in there. And so I begin to play Tetris with the luggage. You ever do that, play, play Tetris, right? And so Ashley's watching me struggle. It's probably pretty humorous. And so I'm trying to stack everything into the Jeep. Problem is, is we have a car seat in the back seat. And so that really takes up most of the room. And so I'm trying to fit everything in there. And this time I go to shut the hatch. Nothing. It won't fit. So I got to take it all out again. This time I changed my plan. This time I begin to put the largest objects in first. I put the most important things in first. So it means I put the stroller in, and then we, we put the, 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 the car seat in, and we put the beach tent, the ice chest. And as we begin to stack all these other things, then I'm able to put the bags on top of it. Why is that? Why did it work the third time, but not the first time? How come I was able to, boom, close the hatch? I win. I never felt more like a dad in my life. Why did it work the third time and not the first time? Because I put the biggest objects in first. 
When I put the most important things in first, there was room left over for everything else. And Jesus says, that's my glory. That my glory is the most important thing in my church. That Jesus prays for his glory. He says glory eight times in this prayer, five times in this section, and glory is a mega theme throughout all of the scriptures. And so you kind of get the picture. It's kind of a big deal. The word glory means weightiness, prominence, preeminence of most and of first importance. Jesus prays for his glory. Augustine, the early church father, says that if the issue of glory is settled, then everything else is settled. Here's what this means for you and me. It's not about you. I know nobody's ever told you that before in your life, but it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's not because of you. It's all because of Jesus. The church does not exist because of you. The church exists because of him. It's for his glory, his name, his fame, his recognition, his honor. The church exists to live, to breathe, to glorify God in all that it does. And that's Jesus's prayer. And so for the rest of us who, who come and we live our lives and we come to church and we, we think it's about us, what you're saying is I go first. So you're, come, you're living your life and you're coming to church and you think, well, I don't really want to get involved. That seems like a lot of work, right? I don't really want to serve. The church is supposed to serve me. I don't want to give. The church just wants my money anyway. I don't want to join a group because those people are weird and they're a little nosy and it's none of their business. You know, the pastor preaches too long. The band's too loud. The chairs are a little uncomfortable. And so what you're saying is this, I go first. And so in your life, in your church, you're trying to shut the hatch and you're wondering why it's not closing and you wonder why it's not working and you wonder why everything's falling apart and you can't find your place and you don't know your identity and you're struggling in your finances and your marriage is falling apart. Maybe the problem's not with God. Maybe the problem's with your glory. What we need to do is we need to take everything out of the Jeep. We need to take everything out of our church, take everything out of our lives, and we need to ask ourselves, what is in the position of glory? What is of most and first importance? What is preeminent in our lives? Because when Jesus is in the position of glory, the rest of us, we're just along for the ride. Jesus prays first and foremost for his glory. Here's three things that happens when Jesus gets the glory. The first thing he says is authority. He says, all authority over all flesh has been given to me. All there in the Greek, do you know what that means? All. Everything. All authority, all flesh belongs to Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, says, there's not one square inch of this universe in which the sovereign Lord does not declare mine. Everything belongs to him. This means whether you are rich or poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, iPhone, Android, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're going through or what you've been. When Jesus is in the place of glory, there's a place for you in the church. He has authority. The second thing that Jesus prays for is eternity. He says, Lord, this is eternal life that they may know you. Knowing God grants eternal life. In this life, it will be hard. I'm not lying to you. Sometimes the glory is hard, but the glory is always worth it. Life is short and forever is a long time. And one day you will see Jesus face to face in the fullness of his glory. And on that day, you will receive the glorious reward of an eternal life. And the third thing that Jesus prays for is destiny. He says, I have accomplished the works in which you have given me. Now, what does he mean by accomplish the works? What work was Jesus sent here to do? To glorify God. 
Jesus was sent to reveal the Father and to glorify God in his life. And that's the same purpose that we have. Do you know that every single person in this room has a destiny? That if you call yourself a Christian, you have a destiny. You have a purpose for your life. The Bible says that, that those who are called have been chosen and those who are chosen have been given a purpose for God and that God predestines good works just for you. So that means every single person in this room has a purpose. And one of the questions I get asked all the time is, Pastor Byron, what is my purpose for life? What is my destiny for life? What is my meaning for life? I'm trying to discern what God wants me to do. Should I change my major for the 13th time? Lord, help me. What am I supposed to do? Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever wrestle with that? Okay, good. Good. Okay, I'll tell you. It's not a mystery. It's not a secret. Jesus is very plain with it. Here's what he says. He says, glorify God. And whatever you do, wherever you at, whoever you are, glorify God. So college student, glorify God. Hey, if you wait tables, glorify God. If you are a single mom, glorify God. If you're a stay-at-home mom, glorify God. If you work in the plants, glorify God. Wherever you are at, whoever you are, you exist as a Christian to bring glory to God. When the issue of glory is settled, everything else is settled. And so Jesus, first and foremost, prays for his glory. And then he's going to transition here, and he's going to begin to pray for his disciples. And he's going to pray because his disciples, they're, they're fixing to carry on the mission that he's going to give them. And, and he's got a couple of things that he wants them to, kn to know if the church wants to grow. So Jesus is going to pray for three things that his disciples are to know if he wants to see the church grow. He wants them to know his word, to know his mission, and to know his joy. Here's what he says. He says, I have manifested your name to the people who you have given me out of the world. And so here Jesus is talking about Christians. A Christian is someone who's been called out of the world and called according to God's purpose, that we do life differently. We think differently. We live differently. The way we view our money, the way we view sex, the way we view relationships, the way we view the environment, the way that we view our life, all of it is different because we've been called out of the world and we've been called into God's purposes. So here, Jesus is praying for Christians. Yours they were and yours they, you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them your words that you have given me. And they have received them and have come to know the truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so here Jesus, first he prays that his disciples would know the word. Okay, For us, I would suggest this is one of the most important pressing matters for our church. These three things that we would know his word, that we would know his mission, and that we would know his joy. Okay, this, this is God's word. Okay, this word, this word is true. This word is trustworthy. It's timeless and it's timely. We can trust it. All of it is true. From the table of contents to the maps in the back, like it points us to Jesus. And so we can trust it. And this is why this is exceedingly important. Okay? The Bible is God's way of speaking to us. That it's the way in which God has chosen to reveal himself to us. When we pray to God, like Jesus does in John 17, Father, we're praying to God. But when we open up our Bibles, when we open up our hearts, Jesus begins to speak into our lives through his word. His first prayer is that we would know his word. Christians are those who love the word of God because that's the way we develop our relationship with him. 
Okay, relationships are dependent, contingent upon how we develop them. And so as Christians, we develop our relationships through prayer and through reading the scriptures. Wherever you're at in your life, if you need a word from God, simply read the word of God. And so Jesus wants us to know his word. But more than that, Jesus also says this, not just to know the word, but he also wants us to keep the word. He says, keep the word. We'll get into this as we begin to study the book of James. But there's this great line, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, James says, to know the word and to do the word. And that's the same thing that Jesus is saying here in his prayer. Now, James was Jesus's little brother. And so James would see Jesus pray and James would see him read his Bible. And James got this from Jesus's life for us to know the word and do the word. Because there's a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, but don't actually know who God is. There's a lot of people who have information, but they don't experience transformation in their life. It's not just enough for us to know the word, but we also need to keep the word. That we would live it in our everyday life. This is why it's not enough for us to come to church on Sunday and just kind of walk in here, listen to a couple of songs, hear me speak for about an hour, then check your watch, grab lunch, and go home. No. Right? Church is not where you go. Church is who you are. Church is, church is what God has called you to. Church is not an event on Sunday, but it's an experience in your everyday life. That what God does in you, he wants to do through you for his glory and for the good of others. This is why Jesus prays that we would know his word. I was talking with Pastor Donnie, who preached here just a few weeks ago, and he told me a story about a a church that was looking for a new pastor. And so they hired a search committee to to come in and looking for a a new pastor, and they had a guy come in, and he tried out on a Sunday night, on his auditioning service. He preached an amazing sermon, filled with energy, filled with passion, with conviction. The altars were filled. People were repenting. The church held a unanimous vote. 100% voted him in that day. So the the neighborhood and the the city, there was a buzz, and people were excited, and they wanted to come see this new pastor. So the next week, pastor stands up on the stage, preaches the same exact sermon. I mean, point for point, illustrations, jokes, all of it, exactly the same. People are like, well, this is a little strange. I mean, haven't we heard this before? Yeah, anyway, they come back for Sunday night service and the pastor stands up on the stage again, preaches the same exact sermon. I mean, same passion, same altar call, everything. People are like, ah, well, that's strange. But maybe they had a busy week. I mean, moving into a new city, getting their kids into a new school. Maybe him and his wife were arguing about where the couch went. Maybe it was just a, a rough week. So we'll give him a pass. So the next week goes by, pastor stands up on stage Sunday morning, boom. Same sermon. By this time, people are pretty upset. Sunday night comes around, pastor stands on the stage again. I mean, same sermon for the fifth time. Point, illustrations, jokes, everything's the same. But this, people are, people are angry. And so the next day, they hold an emergency board meeting. They call the elders in, the deacons in. They call all the different members and sit down with the pastor and they say, listen, pastor, okay, we voted you in. It's an amazing sermon the first five times we heard it. Could you preach something different? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. I could, I could preach a new sermon every single week. He said, great, we're going to need you to preach that new sermon. He says, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, why wouldn't you preach another sermon? He leaned in and said, why would I preach another word when you haven't kept the first one? Why would I give you some more things to be disobedient to? See, it's not enough for us to know the word. We also need to keep the word. I was raised like many of you. 
Okay, I was raised in the church. I had praying grandparents who loved me. Who, I was involved in a great church as a kid. I was active in kids' ministry. When I, when I became in, in the youth group, right, I started an extracurricular activity for my friends. We'd have a Bible study in our house. I went to a Christian school. We would, we would pray in school. We would read our Bibles in class. I learned about the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything, or so I thought. About the age of 15, 16, I was like, I don't believe this. And so I walked away from faith. I walked away from the church. I walked away from the Lord. And I was like, I'm done. And I lived my own life for several years until God saved me at the age of 20. And when God saved me, he got a hold of my life. And, 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 and I wanted all of my friends to know. And I wanted to learn how to read the Bible. And I wanted to grow in my faith. But the problem was I didn't have any Christian friends. So I mean, I had to convert all of my non-Christian friends to Christianity in order for me to learn to read my Bible. And so I said, that's exactly what I set out to do. I went to a couple of my buddies and said, hey, listen, I'm a Christian now. They're like, really, you? Uh, yeah, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Come on, let's start a Bible study. And they're like, okay, that sh- sounds good. Let's do it. And so with about six or seven of my friends, we would meet in Ashley's apartment and we started this Bible study. And we began to read our Bibles and we started our first community group. And to be honest with you, it was a total mess. It was a wreck. It was a disaster. One of the guys goes to this church, and I'm not even looking at him while I'm preaching right now, because it was a wreck. And so as we are, as we're sitting there reading by Monday, this was our formula. Meet at nine o'clock on a Wednesday. That's convenient. Nine o'clock at night on a Wednesday. And then we would get together and we would um, we would get drunk, smoke cigarettes, and read our Bible. Like that's that was our Bible study. And we weren't going anywhere. For the rest of you guys, we have matured as a church. So for those of you who are starting a community group, do not worry. It's not like that anymore. Um, maybe afterwards, but that's between you and your leader. So as we, as we started this, uh, we, just, we would get together. We would argue. We would debate. We'd fight. We'd lose our keys. We weren't going anywhere. Nothing was getting accomplished. We were just, we were just at each other's throats. And then one of my friends... He had this suggestion. He said, hey, how about we just read our Bibles and do what it says? I thought, oh, okay, well, that sounds like a novel idea. Let's just do that. So we would open up our Bibles, we read it, and whatever the Bible said, that's what we went and we did. So the Bible says to, to honor your mother and father, and so I went and told my mom I loved her. The Bible says not to have sex until marriage, and so me and Ashley abstained until we got married. The Bible says for you to take care of orphans and widows, and so we started a foster home for foster boys. And we, not foster home, but a Bible study for foster boys in a foster home. The Bible tells us that we're to serve, so we got connected in a church. And here's what happened. It changed my life. The thing is, I didn't believe the Bible. I didn't believe in it. I questioned it. I doubted it. I, I, I disagreed with it. I fought with it. I wrestled with it, but I did obey it. And it changed my life. There's been times where I've, I've had doubts, but I've never had disappointments from God's word. And as I read it, it changed my life and it changed the lives of those who are around me because we knew the word and we kept the word. This is why I tell you so much that you need to be in a community group because it changed the disciples' life. It changed my life and I believe it'll change your life. The first thing Jesus wants us to know is he wants us to know the word. The second thing that Jesus prays for is that we would know his mission. Verse nine, I'm praying for them. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All of mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy father, keep them in your name, which you have given me and that they may be one as we are one. 
while I was with them, I kept them in your name that you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction. Here he's talking about Judas, who is about to betray him. Not one has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. The second thing Jesus says is, I want my church to know my mission. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's going to go to the Father where he, through his ascension, and he's going to hand the church off to these disciples, these 11 men, that he has lived the perfect life. He is you know, dying the painful death, resurrecting from the grave to where he's going to give us the Holy Spirit to unleash us into this world. And he, there's a few things that he wants us to know, primarily his mission. And so Jesus says, here's the mission. The mission is that I have come to reveal the Father and that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And his prayer is that the church would be in him in unity just as he and the Father are one. Elsewhere, Jesus says it like this. When you see me, you have seen the Father. It's the same idea. And so Jesus' prayer, Jesus' mission for you and me, for us collectively as a church is that we would be the visible manifestation of Jesus here in the city that Jesus would, would live in us and that when people see us as a church, right, that they would see him. They wouldn't see the, the denominations. They wouldn't see the divides. They wouldn't see a pastor on the stage. They wouldn't see a band. That They wouldn't see a kid's ministry. They wouldn't see worship styles. That when people think about, see, imagine the church, here's what they should see. They should see Jesus. That we would be one with him. See, all Jesus is asking us to do is be just like him. Doesn't that sound simple? May be just like Jesus, live a sinless life, atone for the sins of the world. Yeah, that sounds pretty simple. No, it's not easy. It's not easy. And so that's why when people see the church, they see us, broken, flawed, sinners, bent in towards self and sin, selfish, self-absorbed, because we're sinners. And so when people see the church, they often see us. See, Jesus knew that you wouldn't be able to do it. See, coming to church is easy. 1030, all right, I'll be there. Being the church, it's very hard. I'm keenly aware my sermons have a, self, a shelf life till Monday after lunch. Okay, you come to church on Sunday, oh, that's amazing. Tuesday, you're like, oh, God. Right? Become, be, becoming a Christian, that's very easy. Right? Repent of your sin, trust in him, you're in. Being a Christian, now that's very difficult. See, Jesus knows you're not going to be able to do it. You won't make it. You will fail. That's the reason Jesus prays for you. And he says, Father, keep them, guard them, protect them, because he knows you're not going to make it, that life is going to be painful and hard, and there will be suffering. And so Jesus prays, Father, keep them. Listen, planting this church has not been easy for us. I mean, there's some real dark days. There's some difficult moments. It's not been rainbows and lollipops skipping while singing hymns. I mean, there's, there's some real times where I don't know if I'm going to make it, if I don't know if I can do it, if I want to keep going, whether or not I want to quit, move to a city where no one knows my name, getting, driving a FedEx truck so I never have to talk to anybody again. Like sometimes that's my prayer. Anybody else ever feel like that in life? Okay, here's what I've learned. The greater the mission, the greater the opposition. The greater the mission, the greater the opposition in your life. The harder it is, the harder it gets, the closer you get. That's why Jesus prays, Father, keep them, guard them, protect them, prepare for them, provide for them, because he knows you can't do it. See, even Jesus had a Judas. 
That without Judas, the scriptures would not be fulfilled. And so without hardship in your life, you will not experience the presence of God for your life. Jesus knows you need prayer because you need the mission of God. The third thing that Jesus prays for is that we would know his joy. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak into the world that they may have my joy fulfilled into themselves. And so the last thing that Jesus is going to pray is that his church would know his joy. It's the last day of his life. He's going to the Father, the church. These 11 men, they're the launch team for the first church. They're going to plant the church. The church is going to grow. The church is going to change the world. But Jesus says before any of that happens, here's what you need. You're going to need joy. You're going to need joy for life. You're going to need joy for the church. And I'm going to give you my joy. If you understand the magnitude of this statement, that Jesus is praying for you. Okay, he's not, he's not just praying for the world. Oftentimes we, we come and, and we pray to God, God, help me. God, why? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, what's going on? God, where am God, please help, right? Oftentimes we're praying and crying out to God. Here we see that God in Jesus is crying out and praying for you. Not just for the world, but for you, his church. He's praying for you individually. This means Martina and Michael and Justin and Bo and Candace and Ashley and Shelby. Jesus is praying for you. If you grasp the magnitude of this statement, it should give you total and complete joy. That no matter what you are going through, no matter where you find yourself at, that Jesus is praying for you. If you're a college student, stressed out, Jesus is praying for you. Okay, if you're at work in your vocation, overworked, underpaid, Jesus is praying for you. If you're a single mom pulling both roles, Jesus is praying for you. If you're a stay-at-home mom watching Moana for the 14th time, Jesus is praying for you. Maybe there's an area in your life that you're, you're wrestling with. Jesus is praying for you. Maybe there's a place of secret sin in your heart. Jesus is praying for you. Maybe there's a struggle in your faith or doubt. Jesus is praying for you. If you grasp this, you can experience total and complete joy because there's a great joy that comes from belonging to Jesus. There's a great joy that comes from being a part of Jesus' church. That if you live for the glory of God, he will give you the joy. The greatest joy I have in my life is belonging to Jesus, being a husband, being a father, and being a part of this church. I love you guys. The greatest joy I have is being able to serve here. And over our vacation, I was just reminded of how appreciative I am to belong to this church. I mean, we were at the beach, we spent a week at the beach, and we'd wake up in the morning and make a cup of coffee, sit on the porch, we'd go for a walk, or we'd, you know, go for breakfast, and I was praying for you guys, I was praying for our church, and we're getting ready to start these new community groups, and so I, I began to pray for the community groups and all the people who are going to get involved, and then I realized that Jesus has already been praying for that, that Jesus knew we we're going to be launching groups, and he knew you would be a part of one, and so for the last 2,000 years, he's been praying for you. And as I began to pray about the future of our church, Jesus is already there. He's already been praying for those things. As I began to pray for you individually, I realized that Jesus has been praying for you. Do you see the confidence in this as a church? 
Do you see the joy in this as a church? That when Jesus sees the church, he sees you. There's great joy in that. So maybe you're a guest or maybe you're a visitor. Or maybe you've been hanging out for a while and you're not sure. I'll tell you, this is not just another church. This is Jesus' church. And he is growing and loving and serving and building his church here. And we would love for you to be a part of it. And so we would love to get you connected. I mean, we may not be a perfect church. We may meet in a bar, but I think that we are pretty cool. And I would love for you to join us. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.